Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. You deserve the truth. The enemy is at our gates. The fight for humanity. I look at your faces. I do not see defeat. No! And I do not see surrender. It's far from over. You will not make that stand alone. We have something the enemy does not. We have heroes. Halo. New season now streaming. Exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on March 24th. Frank Stamfel joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. Today on the show, it was an injury-filled Thursday that we'll be recapping the big one. Reese Hoskins out for the year with a torn ACL. Rysel Iglesias and Adam Wainwright expected to start the season on the IL. And then we'll get into some players we keep drafting slash fading going into a big draft weekend, so hopefully we can uh, help you out there as well. If you're watching us on YouTube, please like this video and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, make sure to download, follow, and leave a five-star review. We really appreciate it. If you missed any of our recent shows, you can always go back and listen on demand. We did a massive prospect preview on yesterday's show with the Welsh, so you can always check that out. Chris, I see you're donning the powder blue, and uh, I guess yep. you could call that burgundy Phillies jersey. I have one, too. I thought about wearing it, but it's it's a sad day. Sad day for Phillies Nation. Yeah, yeah, we're all, we're all really bummed out. I'm obviously not a Phillies fan, but I'm still bummed out about Reese Hoskins' injury. It was tough to watch. He went down awkwardly, and, you know, there's not really... It's never good when injuries happen, but this is not one where there's, like, a particularly robust silver lining. Um you know, I know some people like Derek Hall. Like he hit the ball really hard and put up decent numbers last year and has decent minor league numbers. He also saw 12 plate appearances against lefties and struck out seven times. So I think he's almost certainly a platoon only bat. His OPS against lefties in AAA last year was also under 600. So he is probably uh, a a platoon only bat. Someone who in your 15 team leagues can have some utility but probably isn't going to matter in in most 12-team leagues. All right, well, let's talk about the entire injury and what else might happen because there's kind of rumors swirling all around right now. Following this injury, again, Reese Hoskins out for the season with a torn ACL, and Derek Hall seems like the likely option to move to first base, but I've seen some rumors of Alec Bohm potentially sliding Mm -hmm. over to first base or 
even saw some rumors about Miguel Sano coming in. So I don't know that he would play first base. Maybe he's a DH and Derek Hall plays first, whatever it might be. Uh, if Bohm slides over to first, one of Edmundo Sosa or Josh Harrison likely playing third base here. Scott, what is your best guess as of now as to what happens sans Reese Hoskins? Oh, I think it. I think a few things are going to happen. I think they have some versatility they can take advantage of. Edmundo Sosa, who's had a big spring and, and who had a strong performance for the Phillies after coming over from the Cardinals last season. I think they like him, and he's shown he can play basically everywhere. He would be an upgrade defensively at third over Bohm, mm-hmm. and Bohm would present a nice big target at first base. But if the Phillies do think Bohm is their third baseman of the future, I doubt they just make him their full-time first baseman this year. Um, so it, it's probably more of a situation where Hall gets a lot of the starts at first base, especially against righties. Maybe Bohm moves over sometimes. They can cycle Castellanos through at DH and let Sosa play more outfield. They can cycle Schwarber through at DH, let Sosa play some outfield. Like they're, they're, like I, I don't think it's a situation where they just have a stagnant lineup. Yeah. I think they just kind of move everybody around as needed. Uh, Chris talked about... It's like, so Hall and Sosa are both players that I have had interest in in like really, really deep leagues. So I don't want to overstate how useful they can be in fantasy because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking with my deepest leagues in mind. Right. <laughs> but I, I do think they're both kind of interesting. And, and you know, Chris, Chris brought up good points about Hall. He's struck out a lot in the past. He's been really bad against lefties in the past. I, I think the most likely scenario is the one he laid out, but he, he has had one of the loudest springs of any player in all of baseball, Derek Hall. Uh, five home runs, 319 batting average, and most significantly, eight strikeouts and 52 plate appearances, which of course is, it's, it's happening in spring training, not always against major league pitchers, not always with them attacking hitters the way they normally would during the regular season. But for a guy with little experience whose biggest issue is strikeouts, it's encouraging to see. I put Derek Hall on my 40 deep sleepers even before this news because he already had an in with Bryce Harper being hurt, potentially playing a lot of DH. Now with first base open as well, uh, in those deeper leagues, yes, I would go ahead and take a flyer on Derek Hall. But I'd be keeping an eye on him otherwise just in case some of these gains that he's shown in spring training do become something more. Uh, and then Edmundo Sosa, who I mentioned, less interest in him, but if he, he does gain eligibility everywhere, I think he does have enough pop that he could potentially factor in 15-team Roto Leagues if, if he's playing close to every day, which seems like more of a possibility now. He does have a max exit velo of 115 miles per hour in his career, so, you know, at least there there is some raw power there. He's not really tapped into it too often at the major league level, but it's a it's an interesting skill set, especially he's very, very fast, 96 percentile on sprint speed. So there's not nothing there. I think if they played the same amount, I would probably prefer Sosa to Hall. But oh, okay. I know I was, uh, I was going the other way there. I'm probably uh, yeah, I, I think I'm probably a little more skeptical of Hall than than you guys are. For what it's worth, Sosa has hit 457 with four home runs this spring. So also a very loud spring performance. And after coming over from the Phillies last year, you know, he hit 
315 in 25 games for whatever that's worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think both guys are interesting from a deep league perspective. That's Edmundo Sosa and Derek Hall. Uh, Sosa, I think kind of in like a Ha-Sung Kim kind of way where if you play in a deeper league and you just want someone that you can move around, he has third base and shortstop eligibility on CBS. And then with Derek Hall, I, I don't want to understate the stat cast numbers last year, a 17% barrel rate. If you lower the qualification to 50 batted ball events, he ranked seventh in baseball in in barrel rate ahead of Shohei Otani, Austin Riley, O'Neill Cruz. So yeah, I mean the little bit we saw of him, nine home runs and 142 plate appearances. Yeah, he could be relevant in like a Jock Peterson kind of way, where even if he doesn't play against lefties, maybe he's just really good against right-handed pitching. That is Derek yep. Hall. What happened if you draft you drafted already and you got Reese Hoskins on one of your teams? <laughs> I have him on NL labor. <laughs> have no idea what I'm yeah, going to do there. He's my NL only first baseman too. He seemed like such a good bet in NL only leagues because like, ah, oh, he's safe. He's, right. You know, he's yeah, you don't really have to think affordable. about it. Yeah. I already emailed yeah. Steve Gardner. And I'm like, what's the best way for me to communicate with the entire league? Because I need to make a trade. I need a first baseman now. Uh, replacements, if you've already drafted in a shallower league, Miguel Vargas, 71% rostered. Tristan Costa, 71%. Roddy Tellez, 69%. I know there's a lot of points leagues, but it's kind of surprising. You're you're in good shape if you're in a shallower league. Yeah, right. Uh, Will Myers, 45%. Trey Mancini, 40%. And then if you're in a deeper league, I wrote down Brandon Belt, Dom Smith, Carlos Santana. Yeah. So, Although it sounds like the Mancinis of the world could be out there in a fairly deep league as well. 41% rostered. Yeah. Did you mention Spencer Torkelson? I did not. I think he's right around 50% rostered. Yeah, he's... ADP is 297.4 at Fantasy Pros. Uh, I didn't realize uh, roster rates were available yet. Um, Torkelson's getting good reviews in camp. His production is still pretty middling, but, you know, that's worth noting. Big prospect pedigree there. Um, Spencer Steer might be eligible at first base in some spots. Um, He's definitely corner eligible because he's third base, but he played nine games last year. I know a lot of people aren't really in on Spencer Steer, but he hit 274 with like a 900 OPS in the minors last year. And now he gets to play at great American ballpark. So I think Spencer steer is someone who is already on my late round, uh, radar. I've drafted him in the late rounds in a bunch of leagues and he's someone worth, uh, taking a look at. Rysel Iglesias is dealing with low-grade shoulder inflammation. He'll be shut down for a week before ramping back up. Manager Brian Snitker said he hopes Iglesias will only require the minimum 15 days on the IL. Scott, are you planning to lower Iglesias in your relief pitcher rankings? And who do you think who do you think gets saves in the meantime for Atlanta? Well, they've pretty much said it's going to be AJ Mentor. So thank you to Brian Snitker for the for making it clear. I have moved Rysel Iglesias down some, mostly because I want to keep myself from going earlier than I have to. I, I, I suspect this is the sort of situation where you could get him at a pretty steep discount just because fantasy players tend to freak out about uh, like er, about early season IL stints, beginning of season IL stints. I, I, think, I think this is something that we could stand to model front like real life front offices about like we could we could model their behavior more with this sort of thing because i think the way uh mlb people look at it is yeah let's go ahead and put him on the il to start the year it's a long season make sure he's healthy for the majority of it no big deal but 
we see them put him on the IL and we start freaking out. He's going to miss half the season. And like, no, it's a long season. It certainly, if you play in a league with IL spots, it just gives you an opportunity to pick up another player in the meantime, during the time of year when roster space is most valuable because you don't, you don't know who's good yet. That's still being sorted out. So you'd like to have more bites at the apple. So uh, back to Iglesias, I, I moved him down, but I moved him down within the same tier at relief pitcher. So I moved him behind. So I had him pretty high already. I moved him behind Jordan Romano, Felix Bautista, Ryan Presley, and Kenley Jansen, but he's still in that same tier with them for me. Yeah, I moved him behind those guys, Camilo Duvall and David Bednar. So like just basically at the bottom of the guys we're pretty confident are their team's closers. Not, not too far down and... It's worth noting he had shoulder issues in 2015 and 2016, went on the IL in both of those years, missed about a month each time. Hasn't had any issues since. So I don't think it's too big of a concern, but obviously, you know, anytime you have shoulder issues with a pitcher, it's it's a little bit of a red flag for sure. The other name to go on the IL or likely to start on the IL is Adam Wainwright. He's dealing with a groin strain. Apparently, Jake Woodford is expected to take his place in the rotation, and Woodford threw 48 innings last season, mostly in relief, and he had a 2.23 ERA, 1.12 whip, 4.5 K per nine. Not a typo. 4.5 K per nine with a 52% ground ball rate. He's looked really good this spring, for what it's worth. Over a strikeout per inning, uh, his opponent quality, 8.3, according to baseball reference. That's somewhere between AAA and Major League Baseball, so it's not like he's just going up against a bunch of scrubby players. Uh, Scott, any interest in Jake Woodford? You know, this is a very deep league play, but he play, he pitches for a good team with a good defense behind him. Yeah, I mean, he, he did catch my eye this spring, particularly with his last start, seven strikeouts and five shutout innings. And he's basically been right out of strikeout printing this spring with, with a lot of innings. But, I, you know, I, obviously I didn't have much reason to think anything of it. 26-year-old who doesn't have a rotation spot. Why, why should I care what he's doing this spring? Now have to take a closer look. Yeah, I, I could still come up probably with 130 starting pitchers <laughs> I'd rather have than him. So, you know, if he, if he goes and dominates his first time out, maybe I'll rethink it. But for now, I think it's pretty safe to ignore Jake Woodford. All right, we had some good injury news as Jordan Alvarez made his spring debut on Thursday. He led off for the team. He was playing left field. The leadoff thing is interesting. Like, I don't think he's going to lead off, but... I don't know. Maybe they just wanted to get him, you know, more more play. Yeah, I would guess that's what it yeah. is. He went 0 for 3 with a strikeout, but Chris, obviously this is good news. Let's monitor the next couple of days, see how his hand bounces back and all that kind of stuff, but you know, with this, are you moving Alvarez back into the middle of the first round? Yeah, that's pretty much where I've been once the once the reports started indicating that he would be uh returning. He's in the 7 to 9 range I'm pretty sure uh 8 in roto 6 in head to head still so yeah I'm I'm back on board all right good news for Jordan Alvarez let's take an early break and when we get back players we keep drafting players we keep fading here on fantasy baseball today Rise and shine, football fans. This is Susanna Fuller from Morning Footy, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Galazzo Network covering the breadth of the global game. Join me, Nico Cantor, Charlie Davies, Alexis Guerreros, and guests every morning for the perfect blend of news, analysis, conversation, and exclusive interviews. If you love soccer, then look no further. We've got you covered for Europe's top five leagues, the W Gold Cup, the Champions League knockout stage, 
CONCACAF Nations League, NWSL, MLS, transfer news, and much more. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe to Morning Footy. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Fantasy Baseball Today is a finalist in the baseball category for the Sports Podcast Awards. We're going up against some big names, and it is a voting system, which means we need your help. You can scan the QR code in the top right corner if you're watching on YouTube or find the link in the podcast or YouTube description. You'll need to quickly create an account on their site. It's annoying. Takes like less than a minute. It's fine. And then vote for FBT. Voting ends April 6th. We really do appreciate it. Let's get into players we keep drafting and fading. I think this is a little bit different than our favorite targets from last week because you don't always wind up with your favorite targets. It's like, who are you actually drafting most? And we'll start off with catcher. And we'll start off with Scott. Who are you drafting oh, most? Oh, we're going position by position. Who yeah. am I actually drafting most to catcher? So I, I actually wrote a about this subject just last night, uh, the 25 players I can't stop drafting. And I was kind of surprised that uh, I, I put together 11 teams at the time I wrote this. Now I'm up to 12. I just did a, another draft, put together another team before this. Um, but at the time with the 11 teams, there were only three players that were represented on more than three of my teams. So there hasn't been as much repetition as I feel like there usually is with me putting together my teams. However, I did feature one catcher in the article, and that catcher is Salvador Perez. Especially like drafting him in categories leagues, less so in points leagues. Points leagues, I gravitate more toward the, the good plate discipline guys like Adley Rushman and Alejandro Kirk. But in categories leagues and roto leagues, I do think Salvador Perez is a singularity at the position. Uh, I think he showed it. You know, obviously his numbers were dragged down by playing through a torn thug, thumb ligament for as long as he did. But when he did finally have surgery to correct it, he came back for nearly 60 games. And his 162 game pace in those 57 games, I believe it was, was 34 homers and 119 RBI. So not. You know, it wasn't 48 homers like he hit in 2021, but how many catchers are even going to hit 30 home runs? I still think Salvador Perez is the best bet at the position to do that, to lead the position in home runs, and far and away to lead the position in RBI. There, there's, I don't think there's another catcher with a realistic chance at 100 RBI. Most, most of the ones we think of as good aren't even going to have 80 RBI. So, uh, yeah, I love drafting Salvador Perez, especially since he tends to go three rounds later this year than he did last year. I think he is a, a, a special fit in that catcher spot in those categories formats specifically. Chris, who is the catcher that you keep drafting this season? If it's not Salvador Perez, and I think it probably is, I haven't done this exercise yet, but if it's not Salvador Perez, it's probably Alejandro Kirk. I have them back-to-back in my rankings. And Alejandro Kirk, it kind of mostly just comes down to, okay, it's like the 60 to 80 range right now. 
what do I need? Do I need batting average or do I need power? If I need batting average, I'll go with Kirk. If I need power, I'll go with Salvador Perez. Now, if I need batting average, I'm probably waiting a little longer to take Kirk than I would take Perez. You know, he's often around 100, uh, if anything. So I do prefer Salvador Perez. I make him more of a priority, but, you know, it kind of depends on team need. But it's those two guys for sure. Chris, I don't think you were on the the podcast. We did a mailbag earlier in the offseason where uh, somebody emailed in something about a, a small, beefy baseball boy. I don't know that those exist, but if they did, I think it would probably be Alejandro Kirk because he's like, yeah, he's definitely to a T. I mean, like Rowdy Telez, Dan Vogelbach and Alejandro Kirk all kind of just have the same body type. Yeah. Like the same mass and density. It's just like the volume is slightly different. Alejandro Kirk, certainly the, the densest of those beefy baseball boys, but they're all. I think clearly big beefy baseball boys. I was uh, I was watching Gene Segura at third base for the Marlins the other day. Obviously, a shorter guy, it's looking pretty beefy these days. Surprisingly, yeah. <laughs> Surprisingly, like not like different type of beefy, right? Yeah, but like uh, yeah, I'm surprised. He he's kind of yeah, he's kind of he's he's a little thicker than I expected. Mm-hmm. Still gets around though. I mean, the guy can the guy can run a little bit. So uh, hopefully that doesn't slow him down too much. Uh, Gene Segura, small, beefy baseball boy, catcher that I keep drafting. I really just live in this tier of Wilson Contreras, Alejandro Kirk, MJ Melendez, Sean Murphy. It's like the middle part of the draft. I like the early round catchers, but I just feel like I always need to prioritize something else at that point. It's been Sean Murphy. I mean, he is the one that I target. He is the one that I have the most. And if Sean Murphy has a bad first season in Atlanta then I'm probably going to have a bad season in fantasy because I have a lot of Sean Murphy, uh, 820 OPS in his career outside of Oakland Coliseum, obviously joining a fantastic lineup. Plate discipline was much better last year. Big things coming, hopefully, for Sean Murphy. What about our catcher fade, someone that we keep avoiding at the position? Scott, is there anyone that stands out? Yes, I'm sure there is. Why don't you go to Chris first so I can pick it out and pick him out ahead of time. Chris, you have one? If not, I'm ready to go. Yeah, I don't, there's not really a specific catcher I'm avoiding. Like, I I never draft Wilson Contreras, but that's not really an avoiding situation. It's just there are different things I want at that point in the draft. Um, I don't think I'm in on Sean Murphy. I'm more skeptical of the gains that he made than you guys are. Uh, Come on, Chris. The, the comp is obvious a little bit, but it, it feels a little like Matt Olson, where he made this huge jump his last season in Oakland especially with the plate discipline. And then everyone's like, well, this is who he is now. And it's like, let's calm down. It's a small sample size moving to a new league. Guys often struggle in that context. I I think he's more of a guy than you guys do, but I'm not specifically avoiding him. I just haven't drafted him yet. So I, I I mean, I understand what you're saying with the Matt Olson comp and it may play out that way with Sean Murphy's strikeout rate regressing again. Unlike Olsen, he didn't have much of a major league track record prior to last year. And it was really the June, June of last year when Sean Murphy took the leap with the strikeout rate. And he got he, he went to being about a 16% strikeout guy from that point forward, which was very much in line with his minor league numbers. Like he was a low strikeout guy in the minors. And then breaking into the league, he became more of a high strikeout guy. So looking at it, like that's that's why I, I think it's a little more likely to sustain in Sean Murphy's case, just comparing it to his minor league track record. But 
for strikeout rates specifically, comparing major and minor league track record is is a difficult and and uh, it's it, it doesn't always play out like you think it's going to. The catcher that I keep avoiding is Cal Raleigh. It's he's going to hit home runs. I think with his skill set, he hits a lot of fly balls. His barrel rate was amazing last year. He also strikes out a ton, and with those fly balls, he's going to have a lower BABIP. So, if you need a 220 batting average and 20 to 25 home runs at that point in the draft from your catcher position, go for it. But it's just something I typically am not targeting. Scott, a catcher you're avoiding. I'm going to say MJ Melendez. I haven't drafted him once. There, Everybody else seems to like him more than I do. He, I think his ADP is higher than both William Contreras and Sean mm-hmm. Murphy. I rank him a tier below those guys because he has – like. He had a bad batting average last year. He did some things well. He walked a lot. He homered at a good enough rate to compare with those two. But those two don't have to really even get better. I mean, we think Sean Murphy maybe can get better. You and I do, Frank. He doesn't really have to to justify his costs. Between those three, William Contreras, Sean Murphy, MJ Melendez, Melendez has to get better. The one... thing that does intrigue me about Melendez is just he's one of those guys who like his value is not linear you know it's not like if he gets better he'll be a little he'll if he gets a little better he'll be a little better for fantasy if he gets a little better he's going to be a lot better for fantasy because he has that playing time edge at at catcher because he's going to play so much at the outfield or dh um, I don't, so that I don't think is, that edge is what it used to be, though, with all the NL teams having the DH spot now. I mean, we saw Will Smith play a lot of DH last year. I don't um, know that he'll do it as much with J.D. Martinez there, but I get your point. I don't know that Sean Murphy yeah. will play DH because they and have, they have Ozuna and the, they have tra- Travis Darno as well. Sean Murphy's the one that I'm I'm worried about because he had 616 plate appearances last year, which is yeah. so hard to do at the catcher position. And like... If Marcelo Zuna is just a wash, then maybe it'll happen. But like, I do, I worry about the counting stats for for Sean Murphy. Whereas Melendez, like, if he's pretty good, he's going to play 150 games. I feel very confident in that. So that yeah. that's the one thing where like, that's one thing I like to do is try to identify places where guys cannot just outperform their ADP, but really, really jump ahead of where they're being drafted. And Melendez is one guy where I initially had him as a bust. And I do think the likeliest outcome is he kind of disappoints at his price. And when it was a top 100 price, like it was in NFC drafts, I was out. But I took him yesterday. I can't remember. I think it was like outside the top 120 or something. And, and at that point, I can't really complain about it. Let's move over to first base and let's make it a little bit quicker. As much as I would love to talk for days about all these players... We got a lot of positions to get to. Uh, let's go to Chris. We'll start with you this time. A first baseman that you keep drafting. Christian Walker is probably the guy I've got him as a top 100 player and he goes well outside the top 100. So he's, he's an easy pick. If I don't take a first baseman early, I love to end up with Christian Walker. His, uh, he had the breakout season. He actually has a decent track record. I think it's underrated. His last four seasons, really only one of them was bad. And, uh, stack has numbers even better than his actual numbers. So there, there is, I think room for improvement for Christian Walker. His numbers were exactly the same as Matt Olson's last year. Mm-hmm. Not literally, but close enough, right? So, yeah. like, you do the player A, player B comp, and, oh, wow. Olsen They're probably, probably the same, uh, same age, I would guess. 
drafted 70 spots apart on average. And look, I'd rather have Olsen than Walker, but like that, having Walker available with those Olsen-like numbers last year makes it easy to pass up first base early. Walker is 31, by the way. He's a little... I did have Walker on that list of 25 players I keep drafting. Um, But since you took him, I'll go with the other first baseman I have on here. And, And this is kind of a strange one, but... In in the right circumstances, I've I've wound up with a couple shares of Paul Goldschmidt, and like, how did that happen? Because you know, I've talked a lot about how I am that that's that's one of the positions that affords you the opportunity to wait. Well, part of the reason it happened is because when I pick at the start of drafts, obviously a late round two pick, if all the elite third basemen go, including Arenado, I still have to take someone at the turn, and usually that's someone who falls as Goldschmidt. The other time I got him was actually in a head-to-head points salary cap draft, an auction basically. And and I specifically targeted Goldschmidt because in that format, head-to-head points, he and Freddie Freeman were far and away the best first basemen. Points per game, they were both above 3.7. Next closest was Pete Alonso, 3.49. And then after that, Vladimir Guerrero, 3.20. So Freeman and Goldschmidt, way ahead of everybody else. Everybody knows to invest a lot in Freeman. But Goldschmidt, by comparison, can be a relative bargain. So when, you don't, when you're not confined by turn order and having to, to stress about uh, position scarcity that way, you, know, you can allocate dollars to take care of it even while investing big at first base. I, I think it's a good idea to go ahead and do that in Goldschmidt, especially in those points leagues. The first baseman that I keep drafting is actually Anthony Rizzo. I want Rowdy Telez, but usually I wait at first base. Someone likes Rowdy Telez more than I do, or maybe I just you know play chicken a little bit too long and I wind up missing out on Rowdy Telez. But if I do miss out, I usually wind up pivoting and, and I get Anthony Rizzo. Uh, it, I know the back injury recently too. That's not going away. He's probably going to miss 20 to 30 games at some point this season. Uh, but no one seems to want him. I got him for $3 in my... Uh, Tout Wars head-to-head point salary cap draft. I mean, in that format specifically for three bucks, mm-hmm. that's really, really cheap. So I'm um, just going to keep taking the discount on Anthony Rizzo. The first baseman that I fade most often is CJ Crone. And mm-hmm. much like Rizzo, also dealing with a back injury, a little bit older, faded in the second half last year too. Terrible numbers on the road. So really just a player you want to use at home, and it's kind of hard to time that up. So CJ Crone is someone that I've been fading. Scott, how about you at first base? Yeah, I mean that's who I was gonna say. Uh, I, I have I have yet to draft Matt Olson at his cost. I'm I'm not against drafting Matt Olson. It's just he goes in the top forty, and I have much higher priorities than a first baseman at that point in the draft. Plus, I mentioned the Christian Walker thing. It's it's actually CJ Crone's probably the most truthful answer to the question because like I have let him go stay on the board well beyond his ADP, and I just curl my lip and. <laughs> I mean, he was trying to talk myself into taking him in the and points league draft we did earlier this week. Yeah, obviously, points leagues, points league drafts are kind of a special situation where it's easier to do that. But like, I don't know. Maybe it'll look stupid in the long run. I just, I just have, I just have a really bad feeling about CJ Crone, um, and can't can't convince myself to take him when he's there. Chris, a first baseman that you are fading. Yeah, it's going to seem like another personal attack on Frank, but it's Nate Lowe. The biggest difference between Nate Lowe in 2021 and 2022 was just that he was a much more aggressive hitter. His 
swing rate overall jumped from 44.7% to 52.2%. Despite that, his zone rate actually went up. And maybe it was just he was swinging at the right pitches and pitchers had to attack him. I His chase rate jumped seven percentage points as well. So I, I feel like pitchers didn't adjust. They're going to adjust this year, and we'll see what it looks like. But we have a, a decent enough track record of Nate Lowe being pretty boring before last season that I just I, I don't buy it. I think maybe I drafted him in one mock draft, but in real drafts, I don't have a single share of Nate Lowe. I mean, I, I liked him a lot when he was you know going outside the top 300 in years past, but yeah. now that he's around 100 and closer to guys like Vinny Pasquantino and Jose, Jose Abreu, I like him, but I don't like him enough to usually target him in that range. Yeah. Let's get into some news and notes before we uh, talk about other positions, and we'll start with Kyle Tucker, who hopes to return to spring training on Sunday and expects to be ready for opening day. He tweaked his ankle, his right ankle, last weekend. Carlos Rodon threw a 15-pitch bullpen session on Thursday. It was his first time on the mound, and he only threw fastballs in this one. They said... Let's see how he responds, and then maybe next time out, he'll mix in some uh, breaking pitches. Uh, obviously, still kind of working his way back from the forearm. The good injury. news is he throws the fastball 80% of the time anyway, so he doesn't really need to get the <laughs> sliders in. That's not actually true, though. No, is he actually true? does throw his fastball. Last year, it was like 80%. It was, it was I'm sure? pretty sure that's right. He, he had like one of, if not the highest fastball rate in baseball. I think it was like 60%, because 80% sounds like Freddie Peralta from five years ago. Uh, last year, his fastball rate was not coming up on baseballsavant.com. It's, yeah, it's very not, useful. <laughs> it's not loading for me either. Uh, 61%. So, yeah. That's still really high. <laughs> it is It is a lot. Dave Roberts said that Tony Gonsolin will spend, quote, a few weeks on the IL as he rehabs the ankle injury. Looks like Ryan Pepio will be the fifth starter in the meantime for the Dodgers. Garrett Whitlock and Brian Bayo will both begin the season on the 10-day IL. It's mostly to continue building up their workloads so that they can get into the rotation. Garrett Whitlock does have SPARP eligibility for those playing in head-to-head points leagues. Brandon Nimmo got five plate appearances in a minor league game on Thursday. He hit a triple and ran the bases with no issue. He's been dealing with knee and ankle sprains. Nico Horner was scratched Thursday due to left biceps tightness. Hopefully nothing too severe. Again, you know, we're within a week from uh, opening day now, so don't really like to see it that late into uh, spring training. Both Jason Hayward and James Outman will be on the Dodgers opening day roster. And Outman is kind of interesting. Last year in the minors, he hit 294 with 31 homers, 13 steals, and that came between AA and AAA. He was older for the level, turned 25 last July. Scott, I'm kind of interested here. If if James Outman is playing on the strong side of a platoon, either in center or left field, somewhere for the Dodgers, I'm kind of interested. What do you think? Yeah, he's kind of interesting. I, I I feel like I feel like I want to see the way the playing time shakes out. Like if, if I have to choose between jo- um, not Josh Outman, what is it? James Outman. James Outman, yeah. Josh Outman, former pitcher. <laughs> if I have to choose between James Outman and Derek Hall today in, in one of those deeper Roto Leagues, I'm probably going to pick up Hall because I'm more confident how the Phillies are going to use him. But Outman is someone to monitor. Would you take Outman or Edmundo Sosa? Outman. Okay. Apparently, Yuli Gurriel and Jose Iglesias are not locked to make the Marlins roster. And then another a report came out that both Brian De La Cruz and Jesus Sanchez will both be on the opening yeah, day roster. Yeah, they 
for the Marlins. He's back, baby. <laughs> Let's go. Some Get those Brian De La Cruz shares. Some performances from Thursday worth mentioning. Hayden Wesneski, another great outing. Five innings pitched, one unearned run with five strikeouts against the D-backs. I had a Cubs fan tweet at me thanking the Yankees for trading <laughs> Wesneski to the Cubs. You're welcome on behalf of the Yankees, I guess. Graham Ashcraft struck out 10 against the Padres B team on Wednesday night and mentioned a new slider grip after the game. He said this is the best the slider has ever felt for him. Team context, I get it. Cincinnati Reds, they're very bad. This is somebody who throws a 97-mile-per-hour cutter on average, and now he has a new slider grip. In the way that I'm kind of interested in James Outman, I'm kind of interested in Graham Ashcraft. So there were three starting pitchers that in my latest rankings update, I moved into the top 100, which isn't saying a ton. Obviously, not every league goes 100 deep into the starting pitcher pool. But one of them's Josiah Gray, who we talked about earlier in the week yeah. uh, with his new cutter and hopefully using his fastball last, which is going to be the key to him succeeding. Uh, one is Mitch Keller, who also added a cutter and looked good this spring. And one is Graham Ashcraft. Yeah. Who you'll remember at times I was talking up last year too. Like, guy regularly hits triple digits, and the strikeouts weren't there as a rookie last season, but he got his share in the minors and 25 and 17 and a third innings this spring with that new slider. Graham Ashcraft might be uh, a very late breaking sleeper here. What is dead may never die. Yusei Kikuchi, five shutout innings with nine strikeouts against a lot of the Twins regulars here on Thursday. Oh, you know what? It was four because I moved <laughs> I moved Yusei, Yusei, Kikuchi up, Yusei Kikuchi up the highest of any of them. Oh, I'm right. getting real like between Yusei Kikuchi, Mitch <laughs> Keller is having a phenomenal <laughs> spring. He's, had tw- he's one of two pitchers with 20 plus strikeouts and only one walk. And he's got like nine pitches now. He's one of those guys. I think he's either adding or reintroducing a, a cutter. I don't know. I, I literally, I think Mitch Keller throws like eight or nine pitches. Now he's constantly tinkering. He's basically you, Darvish. But between Mitch <laughs> Keller and Yusei Kikuchi, I'm getting like real bad flashbacks to like, just like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, are we getting duped here, Chris? I don't know. Man. I, yeah. I want hand, to not get hurt. It kind of reminds me of how, remember two springs ago? Trevor Rogers actually, yeah, before he was a thing, and Robbie Carlos Ray, Rodon, Robbie Ray was, was another one mm-hmm. in that spring. Robbie training. Ray, yeah. exactly. Those three pitchers two springs ago, nobody was on them so, until the very end of spring training, here, and they all turned out to be the great. thing. You know, ten step, right? There's oh, no, no such Freddy, thing. As, Freddie Peralta, I think, was the same thing. All right, go there's ahead. no <laughs> such thing as a pitching prospect. That's what we say, but the, the the reality is, like, there's no such thing as a pitcher. There are like. 25 pitchers (laughs) who are legitimately predictable. Let's say 50 pitchers who are legitimately predictable on a year to year basis. 25 of them are awesome. 25 of them suck. And everyone else, it's just this wide range of possible outcomes and everybody's always tweaking and seems like half the league is a driveline baseball in the off season. And so like, (laughs) We have to open our our minds and our hearts to the possibilities that a Mitch Keller breakout could happen. As long as you don't have to pay much for it. I don't think or anything for it at all. I don't think that you will have to. Jared Schuster, six innings, two runs, two strikeouts, and two walks against a bunch of the Mets starters. I think Dylan Dodd is going on either Friday or Saturday. 
So that will be the the last of the competition. Uh, I think it's probably going to be Schuster at this point. After a bad spring debut last week, Nestor Cortez was pretty awesome on Thursday against most of the Cardinals regulars. He went four shutout with seven strikeouts. Kyle Lewis, a name we have not mentioned at all, hit another home run. He's now 11 for 23 with three homers and 11 RBI. This is a very deep league special, NL only, maybe works his way into some playing time. Kyle Lewis with the Diamondbacks. Let's take our last break and then speed on through the rest of what we need to do on Fantasy Baseball Today. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Players we keep drafting and fading. Let's move into second base and come on, boys. Let's uh, let's keep it moving here. Scott, a second baseman, keep drafting. I probably should have said this guy first base because that's where he's eligible now. But I, I I legitimately am drafting a lot of Miguel Vargas, who of course was the player I love in our Valentine's Day episode, and uh, I still love him for all the same reasons. I think he has, uh, I I think he predictably. The most predictable thing he does, he's going to do is hit for batting average, but with enough power and speed that you're going to like the complete package. Obviously, in a great lineup, he'll have that second base eligibility, may pick up third base and outfield before all's said and done. So he's just kind of good at everything and uh, with a really good team. And uh, you can get him really late, and I often do. Chris, a second baseman you keep drafting. It was Jorge Polanco. And it may still end up being Jorge Polanco because I think I still have him higher than he's likely to be drafted. But in the two two of the three drafts I've done since Jose Altuve got hurt, I've drafted him. So I think it might be Jose Altuve. Uh, <laughs> I'm willing. You know, I took him. I've got him ranked inside the top 100, but I took him at like 120. I think the two times I've taken him. So I'm I'm fine with that kind of value for him. Yeah, the same for me, Chris. I mean, I wound up doing a bunch of early drafts this year. The NFBC has this function where you could just type in a player's name on your My Team page, and it'll show you all the leagues. So yesterday, or a couple days ago, when I heard the Altuve news, I did that, and he popped up on like four different teams. I was like, oh my God, (laughs) I have so much Jose Altuve. So that is the answer. That was before he got hurt. Uh, But in deeper leagues, I always wind up with Gene Segura as my middle infielder in, you know, roto leagues. I think he's like a 15-15 kind of guy. Doesn't hurt you mm-hmm. kind of player. So I do draft a lot of him. I have him in my NL only labor team as well. Let's Drafting mo- a lot of Cattell Marte too. Just a little bonus for you there. I actually have a lot of him too. Yeah. I mean, either him or Gene Segura typically as my middle infielder. They just go so late. Much rather have much yeah. rather have Cattell Marte. I mean, I've well, still got Cattell well, Marte ranked in my top 10 at the position. So like I'm I'm yeah. not really downgrading him very much at all. All right, let's move over to our second base fade. I'll kick us off here. 
it's the batting average, guys. Jeff McNeil, Luisa Rise, they just don't really give you anything else. And even if you play in a points league, right? I'm looking at last year, 2.8 fantasy points per game for Arise, 2.74 for Jeff McNeil. And that was with them leading their respective leagues in batting average. So I just, I don't really know how it can get much better. I typically just don't target those guys. Chris, we'll go to you first this time. Second base fade. Andres Jimenez, I just... I think he's probably a good source of batting average, but maybe not a great one. I don't really trust him as a power source. I just, I, I tend to, I tend to be skeptical of the one year breakouts. Andres Jimenez is that. And uh, I think there's a decent chance he falls back to being like a dozen homers and, and mediocre counting stats guy. Scott. It's jazz Chisholm. I get the upside, especially now with Altuve hurt. He has as much upside as anyone at second base, but I just think the risks are too great for the cost. As much upside as any player in fantasy, Scott. <laughs> okay. I, I Chris looked it up. I think on a per-game basis last year, his roto value was second to only Aaron Judge. Yes, yeah, second most valuable player according to the Razball player rater on a per-game I, basis. I, Come on, Scott. I don't believe you to, to, to use the Ron <laughs> Swanson gif. Because, like, All right. if you're hitting 250... I'm sorry, you're you're not the second most valuable player in Roto. I think he he was on a 35-30 pace though, which sure, obviously but, matters a lot. Anywho, yeah, let's I'm, move on to not for me. Let's move over Peter. to uh, third base. Uh, for me, I have a lot of Austin Riley. I, I think there was like two or three drafts in a row where I I wound up taking him, and I think we would talk before the the podcast got, and we'd be like, "Hey, you got Austin Riley? I got Austin Riley too." And <laughs> did we just become best friends? Uh, <laughs> but if I miss out on those early round guys, I typically fall back on Gunnar Henderson in the middle round. So I think I have two or three shares of Henderson as well. Scott, how about you? Uh, which early round second baseman are you drafting most? Third base? Third base. Third base. Yes, correct. By the way, that was a Ron Burgundy gif. I think I said Ron Swanson. I don't believe you. All right. Um, I am drafting, obviously, a a, a third baseman in round two, but it's rarely, it hasn't been the same guy very often. I got plenty of Devers, Arenado, Machado, Riley, mixed it up pretty well. So I'm going to surprise you with my pick here. I'm going to go Brandon Drury. (gasps) Interestingly, because I have him as a bust this year, but... So does everybody. Exactly. And so it's, it's gotten to a point where his downfall is so widely presumed that his already very low ADP tends to be even lower mm-hmm. in leagues with fantasy baseball analysts. Like he, he falls to like the 230, 250 range. And particularly in those deep roto leagues where you just have to make sure you don't fall behind in the counting stats if somebody's hurt, I think Drury's a great option for that because he's already second and third base eligibility, so very favorable eligibility right off the bat. They've talked about using him some at shortstop in the outfield this year. Could gain, could could be quadruple eligibility, quadruple eligible sooner than not. And of I course, he's already I mean, triple eligible. He's first base eligible, right? Uh, not on CBS. Oh, okay. Double check that. Uh, obviously, the reason people are fading him is because his stats in Cincinnati versus everywhere else last year, you know, he, he's not in Cincinnati anymore, so we can't count on that. But Angel Stadium's still a good place to hit. He's going to be batting behind all these on-base freaks in the in the Angels lineup, Taylor Ward, Mike Trout, Otani, Taylor um, Anthony Rendon, so he's going to have plenty of RBI opportunities. If he just gets to 80% 
of last year's power production. I think he'll be a pretty valuable asset still. A 250 hitting, uh, 20 homer, potentially 80, 85 RBI guy with all that favorable eligibility, very late in drafts. You know, he's, he is he's, triple eligible, by the way. Yeah, 27 okay. games. So he, he could end up eligible everywhere but catcher before the year's over, which would be Let's amazing. get him catcher eligible, too. Why not? <laughs> the old school Isaiah Kiner-Faleva back in the days, like yeah. catcher, shortstop, and I don't know, maybe third base. Speaking of third base, Chris, who is uh, the third baseman you keep drafting? Surprisingly, I feel like it's Nolan Arenado. I feel like anytime I'm not drafting with you guys, I end up taking Nolan Arenado in the in the second or third round. Um, That's not for the brand, Chris. If not him... It's probably Anthony Rendon, although I do have a, a decent amount of Brandon Drury as well. So, yeah. All right, let's slide over to our third base fade. I don't have any Cabrian Hayes, and I was pretty adamant earlier in the offseason that I would not be targeting him, but he has looked pretty good this spring. I've got to point out, he's 9 for 30 with three home runs. That's like three more home runs than he had all of last year. <laughs> so, he's. it seems like he's making a conscious effort to lift the ball. and He's, um, he's not getting us as much like attention for it as Alec Bohm, but a lot of the same topics of conversation. Yep, that's right. He hits the ball arguably harder than Alec Bohm. He's a much better athlete. And it's a type of profile I tend to like to bet on because he's just such a good baseball player that it's like, I think he'll figure out the hitting part. Like he hits the ball really hard. He makes a lot of contact. He's very fast. He's talking about stealing 30 bases. I I need more Cabrian Hayes. All right, Scott, a third baseman that you are fading. So Bobby Witt's the easy answer, but I, I think mm-hmm. it's more just everyone takes him and, and leaves like the Rafael Devers types to me, and, and I'm fine with that. So um, more interesting answer, I'm going to say uh, the Eugenio Suarez-Matt Chapman combo. Same exact answer. We don't even have to go to me for this one. <laughs> okay. So yeah, just like, I just have no interest. I, yep. I, I tend to fill my power needs early, and so I don't have to... Uh, rely on those really flawed profiles that those two hitters present with serious batting average downside. All right, fair enough. Let's move over to shortstop. Chris, you didn't get to talk for uh, for third base fade, so we'll start with you this time. The shortstop you keep drafting. Fernando Tatis. Yeah, it has to be. Next. Yep. Chris. Although, <laughs> Boba Shett quite a bit as well. Scott? Uh, let's see who I put here. Uh um, I guess, I guess I'll say, um, I guess I'll say Anthony Volpe. Anthony Volpe. I am. Um, it's to 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 mention another popular GIF. Jesse Pinkman saying he can't keep getting away with it because that's how I feel every time people let me get Anthony Volpe outside the top two hundred. It's. Uh, but in this instance, you are you are him. I am the one who's getting away with it. Yes, <laughs> Jesse Pinkman is commenting on my the one drafting who, the of one Anthony Volpe. Scott White is yeah. the one who knocks, yes. I, look, the upside is amazing. I think if he wins the job for the Yankees, the floor is pretty high considering his plate discipline and how many bases he's going to steal. And it's stupid that he's this close to winning the job and you can still get him as late as you do. So Volpe is somebody I'm trying to draft everywhere and usually succeeding. This might surprise some people, but the shortstops that I keep drafting are Carlos Correa because nobody else wants Carlos Correa. He's kind of that that last guy before it takes a pretty big fall off at the position too. So 
I find myself trying to hit other needs in drafts, and then I just wind up taking Correa. And if I miss out, Javier Baez. I think I had Baez on like two or three of my like slow draft teams, my deeper leagues that I've done too, and just hoping he bounces back to like 20 to 25 homers and double-digit seals with like a respectable batting average uh, for Javier Baez. The fade, Dansby Swanson, I don't have him anywhere. Probably not going to have him anywhere. He just goes at a point where there's other really interesting shortstops on the board as well. Uh, I should have mentioned this for the one I keep drafting. I want it to be Corey Seager, but it feels like a race as soon as the draft starts. Like, who's going to get Corey Seager? I haven't heard anyone say a bad word about Corey Seager this entire offseason. It kind of feels like everybody wants him. So it's just really hard to wind up with him in drafts. Uh, let's go to Chris, the shortstop you keep fading. Jeremy Pena. I just, I, I don't get why he's ahead of Carlos Correa. I don't think it makes very much sense. I think a lot of it is just the postseason performance, and I don't think there's any predictive value in that whatsoever. I think he's a decent player who doesn't stand out anywhere, and I, I don't have any interest in him at that price. Scott, you are up for a fade at shortstop. Well, you already said Dansby Swanson, so I'm going to say Xander Bogarts, though I do have a share of each. But generally speaking, I am that, that's the very large tier at shortstop where uh, Carlos Correa and Willie Adamas tend to go very late. And so I don't see the reason to bother with Swanson or Bogarts early in that tier. All right, let's slide over to outfield. For me, Randy Rosarena in Roto Leagues, if he's there, typically in the third or fourth round, you know, someone that could give you 2020, maybe even... I saw some projection systems that were updated, uh, the Bat-X, and I think now they have a Rosarena for like 35 steals. They, they worked in the stolen base rates from spring training, and some projections went up, so... I mean, Randy Rosarain is super fast. It wouldn't surprise me if he just steals a bunch of bases this year. And then I usually get three of my top 30-ish, and then I wait, and I always get Jesse Winkers. Like, Winker, Will Myers, Jorge Soler. Uh I wind up with one, if not multiple of those, in every one of my five outfielder leagues. So, man, if they all stink, kind of (laughs) like Sean Murphy earlier, I'm just not going to have a good fantasy season this year. Scott, (laughs) we'll come back to you. Uh, A couple outfielders that you keep drafting. Uh, okay, so I went on and on about my uh, rising interest in Corbin Carroll and how much I'm willing to reach for him with the Welsh the other day. So we won't get into that again. Um, Kyle Schwarber is somebody I'd love to draft in round four in theory, but it actually hasn't been happening that much. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm going to go with the duo of Garrett Mitchell and Jake Fraley, who I like to make my fourth and fifth outfielders in every five outfielder Roto League because um, I think they're going to give me a lot of steals for cheap and with, without, without skimping on the power. I, I think you know we've, we've talked about how Mitchell's swing isn't optimized for power, but what we saw from him in the minors and a little bit in the majors and this spring so far, I, I think 15 homers is a reasonable expect, explan- expectation to go with 30 to 40 steals. Chris, multiple outfielders that you keep drafting. You are muted, sir. Riley Green is the obvious answer to anyone who's listened. I draft him a ton. Um, if it's cheating to say Ronald Acuna, I'll, I'll still say him because he's my number one player. So anytime I draft in the top five and he's available, I will take Ronald Acuna. And then a little lower down, uh, I end up with a lot of Michael Conforto these days. I just He's having a very good spring. It obviously doesn't mean anything necessarily, except that he's currently healthy. And 
The last time we saw a healthy Michael Conforto was pretty dang good. So, yeah. All right. Yes, Michael Conforto has four home runs so far this spring. I think the strikeouts have started to rack up for him. I was looking at his numbers the other day. Yeah, 13 strikeouts to two walks in 13 games. So the the power has been there. That's nice to see for Conforto. It's his first game action in a while. I guess it's not surprising that he's striking out quite a bit. A couple of fades for me, Michael Harris and Cedric Mullins. Uh, we talk a lot about Harris so far this offseason. The ground ball rate being high, the lack of plate discipline, chases a lot of pitches, struggles against left-handed pitching. With all that being said, he almost went 20-20 as a rookie. Could very easily make me look dumb and wouldn't surprise me, but uh, just not enough of a track record there. Cedric Bullins last season was getting benched against left-handed pitching in the second half of the season last year. So I just kind of worry about playing time. Like, what happens if he gets off to a slow start? And the Orioles have a lot of prospects coming here soon, too. I, I don't think that anything, that they'll take time away from Cedric Mullins, but maybe against left-handed pitching. That wouldn't surprise me. So I uh, have not been drafting much of him either. Scott, some outfielders you are fading. Since you brought up Mullins, I keep meaning to use him as a comp for Garrett Mitchell. What I'm expecting for Garrett Mitchell is Cedric Mullins-like numbers. But anyway, uh, fading... Gosh, not surprisingly, Adolis Garcia, Byron Buxton. I haven't shown any interest in rolling the dice on him. Tyler O'Neill, same thing, even though he was great in the WBC. And maybe he'll have a big bounce back. I just, not something I've been that motivated to do. Who else? I, I haven't really been on board with e that Cubs duo of Seiya Suzuki and Ian Happ. I think they're both pretty mid if if they manage to stay healthy. And I'll leave it at that. I think I could probably throw Bellinger in that mix as well. I still like Suzuki. Uh, we talked about him earlier before he got hurt. Uh, so if you can get him at a discount, I do like that. But I haven't wound up with Ian Hab, Bellinger, gosh, who knows when it comes to him. Uh, I agree with you on Tyler O'Neill and Buxton. Scott, I don't have a single share of either one of those guys. Chris, outfielders that you are fading. Uh, there aren't a ton that I'm not that I'm out actively out on, but I think Anthony Santander is probably one that I haven't drafted at all. I just I know power is hard to find, but that's all he gives you. It's such a tough home park. His injury track record is so robust. I just I have a hard time seeing it with him. And then Mitch Hanniger, I, I haven't drafted at all. I just between the injuries, the, the present injuries specifically, uh, and his advanced age, I just it feels like there's too many ways for it to go wrong that we're currently seeing. But Chris, what about everything Santander did in the WBC? He was awesome. I enjoyed the heck out of his performance for Team Venezuela. That was my number two team, uh, but still don't buy it. Starting pitchers that we keep drafting. Zach Wheeler just keeps falling in drafts, and I don't... I, I know that there were injuries last year. He started off with the shoulder, and then he actually had forearm tendonitis. When he pitched, he was Zach Wheeler. He was really good through 30 extra innings in the postseason, so he got the workload up to around 180. I have no issue taking Zach Wheeler where he's going, fourth, sometimes even fifth round. Lance Lynn, my pitching strategy is basically dependent on him. I like getting him as my SP3, sometimes my SP4. He was awesome. Once he 
seemed like he was finally healthy last year. And Jeffrey Springs, I know the the price is on the rise. It's a little bit harder to get him now, but I'm in on Jeffrey Springs now. I don't think I've had a chance to share the quote on the podcast yet. Can I do that? Yes, yes, you should, because Springs has been amazing so far during spring training. And Scott found an interesting quote the other day. Yes, I did. So what was my concern about Jeffrey Springs? Just that he was kind of a glorified long reliever last year, rarely going deep enough into starts for those to get enough wins or for those uh, ratios to hold up. But here's what he said after his latest spring start. In the past year, I've been a little bit limited as I make the transition from relief, he was saying. So I personally, I want to make 30 plus starts. I want to eat up innings. I want to be a guy who every five days goes out there and is going to give you six or seven innings. So that's his stated goal for this year is exactly the one thing I thought was missing for Jeffrey Springs. And so you combine you combine his what he's aiming to do this year with what he's been doing this spring and suddenly it's looking pretty attractive to me. So I just got my first share of him in this draft I did tonight and he's going to be somebody I'm targeting more aggressively here at the end of draft season. In fairness, I will point out his name is Jeffrey Springs, not Jeffrey regular seasons. Good point. But Very I'm- good point. Anywho, you can't getting away with it. <laughs> Chris, pitchers that you starting pitchers that you keep drafting. Uh, Kevin Gosman, I think is a borderline ace. Uh, I don't really buy the Babbitt issues sustaining his. He was like top five in baseball and FIP last season. I think he's a very, very good pitcher. Uh, Joe Musgrove, I just I think his price got too cheap for yep. the n- non seriousness of the injury. Reed Detmers, I probably reach on him uh, in pretty much all of my drafts. I, I think he's a a legitimate, very very good pitcher. Now Musgrove is a good one too. I wound up with him in Tout Wars for I think twelve or fourteen dollars, so just too cheap. Only if he misses you know one start, even if he misses two starts, I, I think that's probably too cheap for Joe Musgrove. Scott, you mentioned Springs. Any other names you want to mention? Starting pitchers you keep drafting. Yeah, I haven't actually drafted much Springs till late till. Lately, but the guys I have been drafting a lot, uh, Chris Sale, of course. I don't need to go over that again. But uh, Nestor Cortez, actually, you mentioned his good spring start. It, it was it was nice how people were scared away by the hamstring injury. That never seemed like a big deal because it it made Cortez that much more affordable. And um, I think he is one of those pitchers who's perfectly suited for this environment because great control. A lot of fly balls, weak fly balls, though, the kind of fly balls that especially now that the juice ball is gone, aren't going to turn into home runs. They're just going to be outs. So I think that explains the disparity between his ERA and XFIP last year. Interestingly, his XERA was actually very close to his 244 ERA. And um, with that low walk rate, I think you're looking at definitely a whip standout, probably an ERA standout with more than a strikeout per inning. As somebody who tends to go cheap at starting pitcher, I like targeting guys who I feel secure with what they're going to provide in terms of ERA and whip. Like they like, I can't get that. I can't, I'm not going to get that in the early rounds, obviously. So those mid round targets have to be able to do that. And Nestor Cortez is perfect for that. Uh, Joe Ryan, who I talked about recently, at least is in the same category as far as whip goes a little more vulnerable with the, ERA, but I think he has some upside there, and I think he has some upside in the strikeout department. And then Lance McCullers, 
we talked about the other day, just because you can get him so late, stash him away. He's back at the end of April, and he's getting a lot of strikeouts for a big winner. Uh, seems like a pretty good idea. And then, of course, I, I do legitimately have three shares of each of the Mount Rushmore. Miles Michaelis, Merrill Kelly, Tyler Anderson, and Martin Perez. So just going to give them one last shout-out here. Yeah, the Golden Girls. Very nice. Let's uh, bring it home here. Starting pitcher fades. Chris, a few names. Um, Julio Arias, I just, I'm worried that that defense isn't going to be as good as it's been in the past. He gives you good but not great innings, good but not great strikeout totals. So I'm just a little wary there at his price. Zach Allen, I, I think there's a lot of risk that's not being priced into him. And uh, Tristan McKenzie is one that I just, I'm not drafting at all. I really hate it. I'm not rooting against him. I love Tristan McKenzie. I think he's really fun. I just, I think he's going to be someone who struggles with ERA. I think home runs are going to be more of an issue than they were last year. And uh, he's, again, a good but not great strikeout guy. So I just, there are, there are other pitchers I prefer in that range. Scott, I'm going to steal one of your answers and just go with Jacob DeGrom because I have him ranked uh, outside the top three rounds and there's always going to be somebody who wants to take the chance on Jacob DeGrom and it won't be me, probably won't be Mm -hmm. you either. Spencer Strider, I have zero shares. I'm not actively avoiding him. There will always be somebody in the draft that likes Spencer Strider more than I do. So I guess I just hate strikeouts between those two. Uh, And then Alec Manoa. I just think there is going to be some regression this year. I don't know how much regression there is going to be. He's a workhorse. He goes deep into his starts. Strikeout rate was pretty unimpressive last year. Now they're pulling the walls in in right center field in Toronto. So maybe a few more home runs allowed for Alec Manoa this season as well. I just think he should not be going in the same range as like Kevin Gosman and Luis Castillo and and guys like that who I think are uh, more talented from a strikeout perspective. Scott, a few fades for you. So I don't have anyone who's drafted before Shane Bieber. <laughs> well, I take that back. I, I do have Sandy. I do have a couple shares of Sandy Alcantara, both times an auction situation. Interesting. Uh, and in Tower Wars, I did get Shane McClanahan. But other than that, unless it's a keeper scenario, I don't have anyone at starting pitcher who's drafted before Shane Bieber. Generally, I'm not fading anyone who's drafted beyond that, though. I'm just kind of happy to take whatever lasts to me. But... I haven't had much interest in drafting Blake Snell just because he's too risky with that ERA and whip. Remember, I, I want guys who I feel like are pretty safe for that. Freddie Peralta, because I have serious questions about if he's going to really take on the workload of a true starting pitcher. And there was a third one here. Uh, I'm not seeing it now. Maybe Kodai Senga just because he's too much of a wild card relative to others who are drafted in the same range. All right, let's wrap it up with relief pitcher. Let's just do both at the same time. Chris, one reliever that you are that you keep drafting, one that you keep fitting. I mean, honestly, it's probably Emmanuel Class A. It was Edwin Diaz before the the injury, so it's just want to get one of those elite relief pitchers so I don't really have to think about the position the rest of the way. And so if there's someone I'm fading, it's probably like Clay Holmes or Yon Duran or or one of those guys who You'll, you'll have to pay a lot, and I'm not 100% certain they are going to be the closer all season. Scott, a reliever that you keep drafting, one that you keep fading. Kenley Jansen? Yeah. Just because he's at the end of that tier? Though, though now I guess Rysel Iglesias is for me. Um, maybe I, I, I actually have one more share 
of Daniel Bard now. So one more share of Bard than Kenley Jansen. Same situation, just the one guy from that tier of relievers that nobody wants so I can get him a round or two after the rest of the tier goes, and I often do. All right, the relief pitcher I keep drafting, no surprise. It is the mountain. Felix Bautista was drafting him earlier before the injury, was drafting him at a discount once he got hurt. Looks like he's good. He struck out three in an appearance on Thursday. I think he's going to be fine entering the season, and I think he's really fun to watch too. So uh, I do wind up with a lot of Felix Bautista. The relief pitcher fade, Camilo Doval. Just don't really want to get Gabe Kapler here. I think that he will be the closer to start. I worry about the the control. The walks were a real issue last year. 3.99 walks per nine for Doval. Also gets a lot of ground balls. The Giants defense, I think he's going to be pretty bad this year. So I do worry about that for uh, for Doval. They paid Taylor Rogers. I don't know if people know how much. Three years, $33 million. That's how much you pay a closer. So it, didn't, it just wouldn't surprise me if he starts to work his way into that mix. Maybe it's kind of matchup dependent, but relief pitcher is too much of a headache already. I don't want to start off with one. And, and in my opinion, Camilo Duvall is going to be a headache this season. All right. Well, we did it. We got through every position. Going a little bit long here, but it's a big draft weekend. So I want to make sure we oh, get... Oh, I, I didn't mention who I'm fading. Oh, who is it? Ryan Presley. Why is that? Ryan Presley I'm fading because he tends to go ahead of Felix I, Bautista and Kenley Jansen in that same tier. And like his knee's always bothering him. He always I think seems I to saw something. He's not expected to throw. Sorry, am I doing the, the Ryan Presley, Ryan Helsley yep. thing? Did you say Ryan Presley? Oh, Presley. I said Presley. Did you mean Helsley? No, I meant Presley. Okay. I thought you said <laughs> Helsley. This is like the third time I've done that this spring. Yes. I, I wasn't paying close enough attention. Ryan Helsley. Likely to not throw on back-to-back days this season is a thing I saw. So there you go. Interesting. And probably a reason to fade him as well based on his ADP. We're going to wrap there for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thanks as always for watching and listening Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Grab your VIP pass. We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining, this is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We are in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1, back at base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.